and welcome to the Signpost Inn podcast, a space at life's crossroads to connect with God and find direction. Pour yourself a drink, grab a seat, and join us on the back porch for a friendly conversation about Christian prayer, spirituality, and faithful theology. My name's Matt. And I'm Brandon, and we're really glad you're here. The Signpost Inn podcast is brought to you by the Signpost Inn ministry, where we offer spiritual direction, retreats and sabbatical residencies, and lots of resources and training. In this episode, Matt and I interview my 12-year-old son and loyal listener, Torben Booth. It was a lot of fun to bring him into the studio and let him ask his questions on air. Torben, you asked some great questions. Thanks. Listeners, if you have your own questions, you can send them to us at podcast at signpostin.org. Also, a big thanks to everyone who has contributed to our More Room at the Inn fundraiser. With a recent extremely generous gift from a donor, we've raised just over $20,000 towards our goal of $36,000. And we're so grateful for all your support and encouragement. I know that if you're listening to this podcast, it's because you believe in the importance of slowing down, offering hospitality, and connecting people with Jesus. You and I have tasted the goodness of God, and we want others to be able to rest in that deep connection with Him too. So please band together with us and help us keep the doors of Signpost End open and the lights on so that we can be ready to welcome every weary traveler who comes our way. You can give at signpostin.org slash donate, and please, when you give, give generously. Thank you. Again, that's signpostin.org slash donate. And now, here's the show. Well, hey. Hey, Brandon. Great to see you again out here on the back porch. Hey, Matt. Glad to be here. Well, hey, we're not alone. What's this? What's happening here? I have brought a guest along with me. This is another listener's question edition. I got an email the other day from our guest with some questions. Just so happens that the email came from my own son, Torben. So I have brought Torben along. He's my 12-year-old son who had some questions. Hello, Torben. Welcome. Hi. I'm (laughs) Torben. Yes, yes, I'm 12 and I'm here. Speaking of ages, speaking of ages, I've heard a rumor that that Matt, you recently had a birthday. I did. Yeah, I and did. you're looking like a fine 29. So yep. I just, yeah. I want to say. I get I, better the, the older I get. I like a fine, I don't know, what gets better with age? Furniture? You do. <laughs> Clearly you do. <laughs> if, if this were only a video cast, right? But so happy birthday. And I know Thank that you. by the time this comes out, it'll be <laughs> six months past your birthday. But there it is. Torben. On the other hand, Torben, you did not have a birthday recently. However, you uh, were excited to have you on the podcast. I'm. This is kind of fun. I know I threw this idea at you and you were like, really? So we'd like you to introduce yourself, Torben. We know your name. Tell us a fun yep. fact about yourself. My fun fact is that I'm unprepared. <laughs> uh, give me a minute. It'll, it'll, it'll come. <laughs> All right. How about you think about that fun fact? Yeah. And I will give it to you at the end of the show. How about that? that sounds fair that yeah. sounds very fair but I, i'm excited here's, sorry here's the question i would say because as a as a 12 year old you know what is it that you love most about being 12 because that's a fun thing right and so what's fun about being 12 years old immediately everyone's the same age as me it wasn't it wasn't like that when i was 11 when i was 11 everyone was older than me but now that i'm 12 everyone's the same age and it makes no sense do you feel like you're finally like on a level with other people? Like I'm not a little kid anymore. I'm 12. Like now, now I can be friends with kids that are 13. I couldn't do that when I was 11. True. That's I remember uh, yeah. that. 
I re- I do I remember that too. Yeah, yeah, it was like a threshold had been crossed and it's like yeah. I've entered into a new world. I've arrived. Yeah, pretty much. Torbett, I'm really glad you're here. It's fun to have you on the show. I know you've actually listened you actually listen to our podcasts, which are which is kind of fun to to have my own son listen to our podcasts. So thank you first of all for listening. And I listen you, as often as I can. Yeah. That's I we, we appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> but you also had some really good questions. So why don't you fire at us your first couple questions and or how about your first question? And let's go from there. Okay. All right. So I have a question about prayer. Perfect. If you are praying and let's say just for the sake of conversation, it is a prayer, you know, and you miss a line like because of, I don't know, you sneeze or whatever. You miss a line of this prayer and and you know what was said, but you haven't said this part of the prayer with the rest of the people and you just have to kind of say what they're doing. Does it count as praying that prayer? Or since you missed that piece of it, does it not count as praying that prayer? That's a very interesting question. Can you, do you have an experience with this? Is this something that's happened? Yeah. Let's say I yawn in the middle of the Lord's prayer and it's like, our father who art in heaven, hallelujah. (gasps) Could I be hallowing? I don't know. Could I, could I not be hallowing his name if I miss that part of the prayer? Okay, that makes sense. Matt, you're looking very pensive. Well, no, it's because it's a good question. I honestly, I don't think I've ever thought of this. But yeah, that's a really good question. And I guess on a certain level, I have to at least draw attention to the fact or recognize that I, I go to a church and have my whole life gone to churches that don't really practice any kind of liturgical prayer or any kind of call and response prayer. It's almost always led from the front and we all bow our heads and in saying amen at the end, we're agreeing with it, I guess. So I don't know if I've ever had an experience similar to what Torben's explaining, but it's a very good question. So Matt, in in a non-corporate prayer context. So somebody's praying from the front during the service and my mind is wandering and mm-hmm. I'm, I just don't even pay attention. And you know, this has happened to me where the guy up front's praying, he gets to the end, everybody says amen. And I'm like, Oh, Oh yeah. Amen. And I think that might be a similar kind of thing. Like, is it, you know, in Torben's words, does it count? I wasn't paying any attention. I guess that would be a clarifying question I would ask to Torben is when we say, does it count? What do we mean by count? Count for what? Uh, What I mean is, am I praying that part? The thing that that part of the prayer says, am I still praying that? Or am I leaving that out and praying the rest of it as well? Yeah. So Torben, it strikes me that this is a complicated answer, actually. There's a sense in which the answer is no right? You didn't say that thing. I think your example of yawning during that is kind of, it's funny to me, partly because one, I've done it. And two, on the most, just most basic level, sure, I didn't say those words. But if we take prayer and we understand any kind of prayer, whether it's liturgical or corporate or private, all prayer is talking to God like a conversation, right? You and I have been having conversations and you've been saying stuff to me and yawned in the middle of your sentence. And I said, what? Because <laughs> you didn't finish your <laughs> sentence. And I think 
on that level, we were, there was no, you know, you didn't, you didn't disrespect me. You didn't, you didn't not communicate to me. You were simply tired. <laughs> you were, you were distracted and we were still together and we were still having a conversation. Mm-hmm. So I kind of think that that's a place to start is to understand that you're human. You're having a conversation with your dad. You're having a conversation with your Lord, who is also your dad. You know, he's your true father. I don't think he's worried if you happen to yawn during the prayer or if you get slightly distracted. It reminds me of something I read somewhere where the comment was made that we get distracted in church. Mm -hmm. And while that can, you can feel bad about that. It might actually be, that's where the Holy Spirit is moving. He's actually bringing our mind to things. And so not to fight that distraction and become dismayed by it, but instead go ahead and pray about those things or allow those things to be part of the prayer even, which makes me think of what Matt was saying, right? Matt was saying, what makes a prayer quote unquote count? Mm. And I don't think that counting, I don't, what makes a conversation count? I don't know that that's the right way to judge a conversation. That being said, there is one other thing that I do think needs to be said. Again, something I read, this is in Luther's stuff on a simple way to pray. And I don't remember if he says this exactly, or if this is just a kind of an idea that he expands on, but there's a sense in which we do need to bring more attention to prayer, especially in that church setting. Like there is a reverence that sometimes we miss out on and that we forget about. There's a kind of coldness of the heart, right? We just go through the motions and we're just not paying any attention to it as if nothing's going on. And there's a real danger there, I think. There is a practice and a discipline to attending to what's going on. And this is I, this is by no means a desire to get into a discussion about different style, styles of worship because I think it can happen on every style. But one of the common complaints about a liturgical style of worship is that it's easy to check out and it's easy to not follow along and get, you know, be emotionally disconnected. I think that actually says more about me than it does about what's going on in the church. It's something like in, for example, contemplative prayer, where the practice is trying to quiet down my mind. That takes practice. That does take effort. There's a kind of you have to keep at it. And there's a kind of continually bringing yourself back to, I am attending to this. I'm paying attention to what's happening. I'm even emotionally investing in the liturgy Mm -hmm. or in the prayer. And I need to do that. Like that's something I actually need to bring to it sometimes. The caution there is I would say, it doesn't seem to me that the right way to do that is with a lot of guilt and shame. Like, oh, I I yawn during the prayer. I am a shameful, guilty person. Rather, do it with a lot of grace and gentleness, which is, I'm a human. I get distracted. It's not about, it's not about the amount of attention I pay, but it's about the opportunity to continue paying more. Like, it's a practice that I can engage in gently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Well, that answers the other question I had, so I'll move on to my others. Your other question was, just for the people who are listening, what was your other question? If I, like, miss a whole prayer or just a very important part and I have no idea what they say, does mm. it does it still count? And you, you just said, if you only, like, miss everything and then you're just like, amen, just use it as another chance to follow along and pay more attention. And that's, yeah, that's good. Yeah. I, I want to stress without the shame and without the guilt. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? There is an ideal here. There is a... Like we definitely would, 
would it be right and good and healthy and proper if we were always totally emotionally, physically, spiritually invested in our prayers? Yeah, of course. That I mean, I, I want that. And so there is a sense in which we can look at it and say, we are fickle and we are finite, even sinful that prevents us from being able to be that way. And there's a there's an appropriate time for that to be like, hey, you need to shape up in your prayers, in your participation, but always within the context of the grace that says, this is never damning. It doesn't distance or separate you from God. And I think there's that tension that we live in. So in the vein of asking, does it count? Or maybe is it effectual to say, do you still get the blessing or the benefit of the thing that was prayed if you didn't give your full attention? So for example, if if they're praying during corporate prayer for people who are sick or for people who are struggling or doubting or having, uh, I mean, any list of, of struggles that they might be, be dealing with, is it, and I all of a sudden get distra- distracted by thinking about my struggle, like, oh yeah, this applies to me. And I all of a sudden get caught up in the, in the loop of replaying that or reliving that. And then all of a sudden they say, you know, have mercy, Lord, amen. And it's like, oh, did I miss, like, does what they prayed for me still count? Even if I wasn't an active participant for that entire prayer, right? Is that sort of like what one of the part of what you're asking too, Torben? Is that similar to what you're saying? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. I mean, obviously this is different than like a congregational prayer where you're praying the Lord's Prayer together as a group, but it's similar. Yeah. Do you feel like you're missing out at that point? Well, as a person who is easily distracted, I feel like I miss a lot of things at church, for sure. I don't want to check out or miss things. Sometimes it is because I'm intentionally checking out. I'm like, I'm here. I'm sort of just going through the motions. You know, the person that happens to be preaching today maybe isn't my favorite or something. Or, or maybe the, the the songs that they've chosen during worship are just sort of so-so. And these aren't the songs that I love the most or they don't resonate with me. So there's a lot of things we could talk about about being distracted in church. And I'm, I'm the MVP of being distracted. So if you think about prayer your own personal prayer and people and praying with people. Do you have that sense that you're missing out on something sometimes when you get distracted? And the real question I want to ask you is what do you sense you're missing out on? Right. So I do have a group of guys that I meet with regularly and we share our struggles and we pray for each other. And I oftentimes will get distracted and get be thinking about because we're, we're talking about very serious things and it's, and it's very stimulating. It's a very stimulating time. And i easily get distracted during that time. So what do I think I'm missing out on? If somebody's praying for me and I'm not giving my full attention to the prayer, I'm like, well, I they were praying for me, but I got distracted and I'm thinking about other things. And I don't even really remember what they said in their prayer mm. for me and about me to God, even though I'm right here with them. And sometimes whenever we're praying, we as a group are praying for somebody else. And if somebody else is in particular praying, I may not give them that that full attention, right? So possibly, I mean, it is, I mean, there's been many times that I've been blessed by something somebody has said in prayer, either, either a prayer for me or a prayer for somebody else. And it's like, oh, 
you know, like an epiphany happens or something makes the dots connect. So that does happen in prayer. If I'm not paying attention to everything that happens in prayer the whole time, am I missing something? Like, possibly. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My mind keeps running to, it's like being at the Grand Canyon. I'm standing on the edge. I'm looking out over the beautiful Grand Canyon and I'm distracted. And I have had this experience where I was at the Grand Canyon and because of work stuff, super distracted. And because anxiety stuff keeps me out from being in the moment, I'm not paying any attention to what's actually right there right now in front of me and the beauty and the good things that are happening. And I leave that experience feeling like I've missed something. And what I've missed is the the gift that that moment had for me because I wasn't really in it. And to me, that's a real miss. I have genuinely lost something there. And what I've lost is the experience of the beauty or in this, in the moment of prayer with friends, I've lost the connection that that moment of knowing of feeling like I'm loved of, of really attending to what the actual love is. And that's where I would say, like, I'd come back in and I'd say, but then there's another side of it, which is even though I may not have been fully attending to it in the moment, it doesn't mean that the Grand Canyon isn't still there and isn't still beautiful. It doesn't mean that my friends aren't still there and love me and are around me and praying for me. You know, the question of am I missing something in prayer when I get distracted strikes me as a little bit like underneath that question for many of us, I think, is this subtle assumption of transactional faith. Hmm. And I'm sort of, I'm the one who, upon whom all the blessings depend. If I do it right, I get the blessings. If I do it wrong, I don't. And if we kind of throw out the transactional thing, it's not really up to me doing it right or wrong to, to get it. Then, then the thing I really miss can be seen. Like, it would, yeah, I really would have been better if I'd been able to hear everything my buddies were saying about me when they were praying. Just because I would have been, I would have felt more loved and I would have felt the connection stronger, but I didn't miss out on the actual connection and it's still there and God is still listening and God still is doing what he's going to do. And the blessing that they're asking for is still going to come, you know, in some sense. Right. That's good. And, you know, it's funny as you were talking, it reminded me of something else and I got a little distracted thinking about it, but, but I, I have found interestingly that as a same thing when it comes to Lectio Divina or doing reading some Christian books or reading something by a Christian author that I really admire. A lot of times I will try to be diligent about reading regularly, but then life happens and things come up and I end up putting it down for several weeks and don't come back to it until I, I just find the time again or find that rhythm. And mm-hmm. there are often times that I find that there's something that I've been meaning to get back to and I find my way back to it at just the right moments to the point where I, something that is found in there that speaks to what God is doing in me at the moment that probably would not have meant as much three weeks ago. So even yeah. though I've beat myself up those whole three weeks about being undisciplined and not being diligent in the projects that I give myself. At the same time, it's one of those things of like, oh, wow, it's really seems like God was even at work in my distraction and my busyness. Yep. And I find that kind of grace a great relief because there are many yeah. times that I find like, oh, yeah, I was distracted that whole time, but God still find a way to break through or to time those special moments that he has for me. Yeah. 
I think yeah. there's like there's like a whole nother podcast on that topic of being able to attend to our distractions, which is kind of a weird concept. Being attentive to our distractions, but that's maybe another podcast. Torben, speaking of reading books, you had a question about a book you've been reading. A book I have read. All right. But before I throw those hard ones at you, yeah. I have a different question that I just thought of a few minutes ago and wrote down. Okay. Good. We like <laughs> curveball. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So this is off topic, but so you you bless your food before you eat, right? Yeah. Okay. So is it wrong to eat food that hasn't been blessed? Or like and is it is it wrong to purposefully I'm guessing it is wrong to purposefully not bless food? Off topic, but not off topic. I think that's actually right on. What do you think? Tell us what you understand us, you know, blessing your food to mean. When you when you think of that, what do you think? What does that mean to you? I don't know. It's like when you when you pray before you eat to bless your food. For me, it's kind of like, hey God, we're eating the food that you've put in our paths to eat. Thank you so much. And is it wrong to not thank God for? this awesome meal that he gave you and is it wrong to purposefully not thank him for this food he gave you Ooh, that's okay say more about that one to purposefully not thank let's say you're sitting there and you have a bowl of spaghetti and you are eating this stuff and it's so good and you're like wow god put this in my path or whatever and you're like, but you know what? Something happened. My dog died. That was mean of God. I'm not going to thank him. So you mm. sense, or like, because something bad happened, or you're like, you're angry at God or something, or like, you don't trust him, you do not thank him. And you're like, in your mind, like, ha, I'm not going to thank you. That's a sin, right? That seems like a problem. Wow, Torben. Wow. No, that's Talk good. about the tough ones. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I'll just say we're uh, when we have dinner tonight. I'm pretty much going to pray Torben's prayer almost verbatim if I can remember it exactly because that was awesome. Wait, hey God, here's the food you gave us. We're going to eat it. Thanks. <laughs> that is a oh, good prayer. I thought, I thought the the I thought the prayer you're talking about was Our Father who art in heaven. Achoo, be your name. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not that prayer. The meal prayer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. But yeah. Torben, it it strikes me, and I say that a lot. Here's the thing that's interesting about this. I am your father sitting here talking to you about this stuff and loving it and enjoying you a lot. <laughs> Meaning you're a lot of fun to talk to and I like you. And I think, what if you started there? What if you started there? Is it wrong of you when you're angry at me, not thank me for the providing that I've done for you? And maybe just to be a little more clear, because you don't pray and say every meal, thank you, Father, for this food, right? You say that to your heavenly Father, not to me. Appropriately so. But what I mean is, is it wrong for you to live not thankful, like to be ungrateful for the stuff that I've given you. Is it wrong for you to be ungrateful for the stuff that I've given you? I would think so, right? Yeah, don't you think? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. Now, have you ever been ungrateful? Yeah, definitely. I have been ungrateful. <laughs> okay. That's happened. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> have I been, have I rejected you? Have I, do I, do I hold it against you? Do I get angry about it? No, not at all. Maybe that last one once in a while. Right? Yeah. You you get Maybe. angry. You get frustrated. Yeah. Oh, I, but, I mean, you know, I'm a sinner. No. <laughs> but I think that's, it's helpful to put it in that context, right? That you can be really angry at God. You can even be ungrateful. You can even be intentionally un- ungrateful. You can even be like, Lord, I don't want to thank you at all for any of this stuff because of this bad stuff that happened. Mm-hmm. And the answer to the question, is that wrong? Well, sure. Of course it is. You know, he's given us everything. He provides all that we have, including life and breath, right? Everything I have. But how does your loving father, who is the one who desires to provide everything for you, we're talking about God, what is his predominant feeling towards you, even when you're ungrateful and kind of mad? Uh, He loves me. And he likes you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in some sense, I think that's even why it's kind of wrong to be ungrateful. Is it kind of like because you're disrespecting his love? Yeah. Well, it's also like if I were the kind of father who was a really terrible father and I gave you good things and I provided for your food and clothing, but I did so extremely grudgingly and angrily and I demanded that you pay me back when you got a job when you were older, then I think feelings of ungratefulness there would actually probably be correct because I would not be being a father at that point. That's not how a father should treat his son. Yeah. And you would be like, fine, you're, you're giving my, me my food and drink right now, but you don't want to, you don't like me and you're going to make me pay it back later. That's, I mean, I would not be grateful for that. And I don't think you'd be wrong for being ungrateful. Well, and Brenda, is that, Is that like what you meant whenever you talked earlier about a transactional way of viewing a relationship? Yeah. Like that it's just about you do this for me and I do this for you. And, and that's the only reason, right? Yeah. It's like that, that like I'm giving you stuff now, but you have to pay it back later is like the idea of a God who requires good works for you to get into heaven. Right. Here's this stuff, but you have to pay me back and be good to to earn earn heaven what I'm giving. So that's not the only problem with that view, right? The the real reason that's tr- problematic, well, there's two reasons. One is cuz it that's not God. So you're not <laughs> you're not talking about the real God, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And two, the transactional way of talking to God and dealing with God puts me in control. Like mm. I get you know, I'm the one upon whom it really depends. God will do his part if I do my part. And so the real issue here is, do I do my part or not? If that's the way it is, then gratefulness doesn't have any, you're not, there's nothing to be grateful for because you're earning it. You're the one doing it anyway. Yeah. But go back to what we were saying. Now, Torben, if your father really likes to give good stuff to you, not because you do anything, not because you're going to do anything without any expectation of you ever paying it back, but just because I love you and I want to give you your food. I want to give you good things. I want to buy you that cool baseball glove we bought the other day. And, the you know, I mean, things like that. Like, I want to give you stuff because I like you out of joy and freedom. Yeah. Well, now 
what's the correct response? Be grateful. Yeah. And notice too, it's also free gratefulness. It's not like, dang mm-hmm. it, boy, you better be grateful. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's more like, hey, here's those batting gloves you really wanted. And you're like, thanks. Yeah. And then go use them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? And yeah. do what do what you're gonna do with them. And and know that I liked giving them to you, that I enjoy you, that I that I just wanted to give them to you. I don't have any strings attached. Yeah. That's what makes ungratefulness wrong. Yeah. Is it's a if you're ungrateful to somebody who is completely freely, without any strings and with joy and love, giving you good things. Well, then your response is just, if you're not grateful, your response is just out of whack with reality. At the same time, precisely because the person who's like that, who gives you good things out of joy and love and freely, if you are occasionally ungrateful because you're a human being who has moods and bad days and your dog dies, is the person who loves to give you good things out of kindness of his heart and just joy and freedom, is he going to be mad when you're occasionally ungrateful? Or even a lot ungrateful? Well, no, no, he keeps well, yeah. he keeps giving you good things. He keeps coming. He he's like, I get it. I may be saddened by it. I may wish you were grateful, but it's I'm not going to hold it against you. Which is yeah. precisely the reason you're grateful because I'm the kind of guy that doesn't hold it against you. Mm-hmm. That's the picture of God that I think is more. Well, I think that's Jesus. Yeah, I think you're right. Thank you. Transitioning back to 20 minutes ago when you mentioned a book I was reading, I have more questions. Let's let's try for one more, and then we'll see where we are. Okay, awesome. All right. So to answer everyone's wondering, the book I read was Job. Oh, I'm so proud of you for reading Job, Torben. Yeah, I read it like two years ago during Lent. I read like a chapter or two each day. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is this your fun fact? Yes, you're right. Your fun awesome. fact is your yes, your fun fact is two years ago I was really sad, so I read Job. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's quite the reason. Wow. All wow. right, what's your question about Job? Mm-hmm. So I have three, but I should probably ask my most burning one. Yes. Because yeah, okay. So I'm gonna give you the hard disputed one because I really want to know. It seems like. Sometimes, in Job, it depicts God handing over Job to the devil, which doesn't happen. I sure hope that is not how God is. But it seems like God is saying, okay, you can do whatever you want with Job, take him. And that is not how I see God, and I don't I don't think that's how it is. Correct me any time if I'm wrong, but I hope I'm not. So I feel like... I know they say Job is like poetry, but it's still inspired. So like if it's saying something that is, if part of it, what it's saying is untrue, can it still be inspired or is it like only half inspired? Those are awesome questions. Those are really good questions. Okay. So first of all, I heard the question of, it sounds like God turned Job over to the devil. He doesn't do that, right? That's so that's a question. Another one is then, okay, well if he if he does or doesn't, how are we supposed to understand Job being in the Bible being scriptural 
if God doesn't actually do that, then what's that saying about our understanding of inspiration, right? Which is a very good question. Again, yes. I'm so proud of you, Torben, for, for thinking about these things, because that's that's a very advanced question that sometimes <laughs> some people never really wrestle with. And so that's yeah. awesome. So I, I would, I'm going to take a stab at the first one right off the bat and say, does God ever hand over his children to the devil? And I will say there, there might be some differences of opinion on this, depending on the tradition that a person grows up in, right? We all, we all do theology. We're all theologians. Some people are better at it than others. Some people arrive at some conclusions that I would personally disagree with. But so for, to answer for myself, I don't think God ever hands over his beloved children over to the devil. And I think if you looked at, if we look at, like actually opened up the text and evaluated it, we would see he's, he's allowing the devil to act on this earth in Job's life in a way that directly affects Job. But in no way is Job's soul ever in danger of being lost, right? In no way does can the devil ever exercise any kind of true dominion or ownership over Job in the slightest way. He might be doing things in the world like sending, you know, raiders to steal his flocks or, or being some sort of weather patterns that cause the house that has his kids in it to collapse, right? But in no way did what really counts to God, which is our eternal souls, ever get handed over for Satan to do whatever he wanted. What do you think, Brandon? You think I? You think I'm I'm close on that? I mean, that tend yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I think that the <laughs> I think the devil is in the details uh-huh. <laughs> because we hear the phrase "turn over to the devil." And what does that mean? And and just part of the reason that phrase exists is because it does exist in the New Testament, right? First Timothy 1.20, Paul is talking about some of the people who have shipwrecked and rejected the faith. And he names two people, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan, so they may be taught not to blaspheme. And then there's another reference in 1 Corinthians 5, where there's a lot of bad stuff going on in the church. Somebody sleeping with his own father's wife, like his stepmother, pretty horrible stuff. And Paul says, hand that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So the phrase turning somebody over to the devil does exist in scripture in that sense. Now in both of those contexts, we have always understood that. And I think it's really clear in 1 Corinthians 5 to be the fancy word is excommunicating, separating somebody out of the church for the purpose of letting them suffer so that they might come back and be saved and be uh, repent. It's not literally, I am giving them over to hell and sending them to hell. Paul's not doing that. Similarly in Job, like Matt was saying, the story is one of Satan coming and asking God, hey, you think Job's righteous, but if I test him, I'm going to prove he's not. And so God allows Satan to test Job. Does God allow that? Well, that certainly seems to be something you see in scripture. I mean, he he even lets the Israelites go into captivity frequently in order to be chastised, in order to come back, in order to get them to repent, and etc. 
So if, if by handing us over the, to the devil, you mean God allows us to suffer, God allows us to have bad things happen to us for the sake of chastising us, that is bringing us back to health, sure. Does God just willy-nilly turn give up on somebody and say, well, I'm done with you? No. Does that answer the question at all? I mean, I think that's kind of what Matt was saying too. Yeah. So if God can take people and have Satan like hurt them or do stuff or whatever so that they learn to go back to God and are no, and like get taught to repent for their sin or something like that. Cause mm-hmm. that's kind of what I understood from that Corinthians reading. Mm-hmm. So what about, cause Job was a, like a righteous or very righteous guy who was like very devout so why would he be turned over to tots to teach something? I mean, like, God could have just said, no, you don't have to test him. He's righteous. I mean, like, that, that doesn't make much sense to me. There are two things that I think are happening. One, what the word test sometimes means is not test to find out whether you're this or that, but rather test like you test a metal to make it more, more pure. It goes through fire and gets, and the dross gets burned off. So the suffering that Job went through actually increased his righteousness. It proved him, made him stronger, made him even more righteous. Well, and I would, I would follow up because I think we're, we're taking for granted that Job is, is a righteous man, right? But I think it's easy for us to just assume that he's perfectly righteous when it seems like the way the book concludes is that Job still had at least one more thing to learn, which is namely, well, for one, don't think for a minute that as devoted and serious about your faith that you might be, Job, there might be some things that you're, you're, you have some blind spots. Maybe you didn't think about it in this way. And and I think that's kind of played out in this in the story where suddenly Job did come to terms with maybe I had misconceptions about God that I hadn't really thought about. I don't know. What do you think about that, Brandon? The question as I understand it right now is so far we've said that Job his faith was being tested or proved. He was made stronger through the suffering. And then, Matt, you were saying that <laughs> Job, as righteous as he was, still had stuff to learn. And that was at least partially, don't rest on your laurels. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think there's actually a lot we can learn from what, from what Job learned. One of them might be what you just mentioned, but then also the, the lesson of being able to trust God in our suffering. I mean, there, there's a lot of things that Job learned, right? The, he's suffering. This is not good, obviously, and 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 it's obviously not a, a result of of the sin that I've committed, right? Because you know we understand that sometimes God disciplines His children, but He never pours His wrath out on His children. So the idea of us going through things as children of God means that yeah, it could be a lesson from God that He's disciplining us and training us up, but there might be another lesson that we're trying to learn, yeah. namely that God's righteousness is not dissolved or proven false just because there's something going on in the world that would seem like um, something doesn't add up. 
Because that's what we all think. We think, I live good. God blesses me. We're all happy. We're good to go. And yet, lived experience says, I'm doing my best to follow God. I feel like I'm doing okay. And yet, there's this suffering that's come along that's devastating. What's going on, God? Because that's who we turn to in in those situations. And just because we're going through something awful doesn't mean that the truth of, of God's character is invalidated. He's still who he is. And I feel like that's the answer that God gives Job is like, look around, Job. Who do you think I am? And what's Job's response? His response is, I put my foot in my mouth, God. I forgot. I lost sight of how awesome you are. And he started going back to that transactional mindset that we've talked about throughout this podcast. And once suffering happened, you realize, oh, all right, that's not the economy we live in. That's not the way God's world is. And when I take my eyes off God and I start thinking about things in a way of, I just do my thing and God blesses me, it falls apart eventually. Yeah. I think the biggest question that Job is actually talking about is what Matt's talking about, Torben. Mm -hmm. Like the question being asked in the book of Job is, is God still good even though we have inexplicable suffering? Yeah. And so we, yeah, we always ask these questions like, well, wait a minute, I've been a good person or why do good people suffer? And, and we can talk about, does God use suffering and pain, quote unquote, handing somebody over to the Satan? which is not, that doesn't mean damning them. That just means allowing suffering. We can say, yes, sometimes he allows that for the sake of punishment. That is to chastisement, to bring us back to him. Sometimes he uses it to make us stronger in our faith. We go through challenges and we come out stronger. But there is a whole bunch of it that just has no clear reason at all. There's just, yeah. there's no under, why, why am I suffering in this way? And it may not, there's no punishment being done here. There's no clear, obvious purpose to any of it. I can use it to become stronger, but that doesn't even seem like why God is doing it. That seems to me to be the actual question of the book of Job. And I think what Matt was saying is that's how that question gets answered at the end. What God actually says is, even if I don't give you an answer, I'm still the God who made the seas, made the earth, controls the largest animals, and cares for the smallest. I am the king and the creator, and I am also the lover of my creation and the one who gives every little tiny thing the food and the air and the water that it needs. I will care for you. Trust me. But he doesn't really say why the suffering happens. And I, Torben, one other quick thing on that note. I think that's part of the reason. There's a lot of other like literary reasons, but... I think that's part of the reason it's best or helpful at least to look at Job as poetry, not actual history. There's yeah. a, there's a lot of debate about it. I, I, people, some people, you know, in the theological world, people debate that all the time. So I don't know if there's a clear answer to that one. Well, and I think that's a good segue, Brandon, into the last part of Torben's question, which is a question about inspiration, right? And one of the things that Whenever I deal with people as being a part of a, a ministry that caters and, and ministers to multiple people from various denominations, is there's a lot of different opinions about the doctrine of inerrancy. But I think the, the simplest way to answer that is partially like what you've said, Brandon, but then also the understanding of 
well, if we take the Bible to be inspired, right along with that, God also is a bit of an artist himself and can use a lot of different ways of communicating. God can put in scripture a rhetorical question that's meant to teach us something. And we're going to have to sharpen our minds enough to be able to recognize it and spot it without getting derailed by anytime you come across a scripture that you say to yourself, wait, that doesn't seem to add up. That's that's an invitation, I think, from the Holy Spirit to dig deeper because there's usually hidden treasure just beneath the question. Or maybe it's not just beneath. Maybe it's a, a several feet under there. But I firmly believe that there are a lot of hidden gems in scripture that are there for us when we essentially take on that adventure of saying, all right, I'm going to find the answer. I'm going to dig it up. Torben, do you feel like we sufficiently, if not completely, answered the questions that you were asking? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm I'm not really a, a theologian. Au contraire. <laughs> yeah, no. You're, you're doing the work of a theologian right now, for sure. I, I think that's, yeah, that does answer my question. It is a hard one, so. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you. Torben, it yeah. was really fun to have you on the back porch with Matt and I. It's kind of fun to bring you along and have a, have these conversations. I'm sure that we will, you and I will have more of this on the way home today, but thanks. Thanks yeah. for being willing to be recorded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, if if reading Job was just my book reveal, I think I finally have my fun fact. What's that? Yeah. My, my fun fact is that I am Torben Booth. I'm a killer Skyward Sword player, and I play Protoss in StarCraft II. Okay. Bam. Mic drop. There nice. it is. <laughs> yeah. I think we got to... I Excellent. think for people who knows what you just referenced, has a pretty good idea of, of the kind of guy you are. Right? <laughs> and, yeah. And for those who get it, they know how awesome you are, too, because that's right? awesome. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and for those who don't get it, tough luck. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Well, Torben, thank you for being here. And Matt, thanks for being here too. And uh, listeners, thank you. Thanks for being here with us. It's always fun to have you along for the ride. And until next time, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever the road takes you. Amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit us at signpostend.org. While you're there, sign up for our e-newsletter and we'll send you a free ebook. Also, a big thanks to all of our supporters. Signpost N is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry, and we exist only because of our generous donors who make everything we do possible. Please consider supporting us with your recurring donation. Visit signpostend.org slash donate.